2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to take a couple of weeks now that we have finished book one of the Psalms. We're going to take a couple of weeks leading up to uh, Christmas with some Advent oriented sermons. Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a, in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for its truth. Father, thank you for this story. For the sending of your son, Christ Jesus, into the world. Ultimately to be a sacrifice for our sins. Father, may we marvel at it. May we wonder at it. May we praise you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So this morning, I want to ask the question. It's the title of the sermon. Do we even hear the Christmas story anymore? So this isn't to like make anybody feel bad, but just kind of a rough pop quiz. How many of you already for this Advent season have either read, heard someone else read, or heard on like the radio or whatever, somebody read this particular passage of scripture? Raise your hand. Now, this shows me how many of you don't pay attention in the service because Roger read three-fourths of this just a few minutes ago. So everyone should have raised their hand. Again, to the point of the title of the sermon, do we even hear... The Christmas story, I set y'all up, I did, I did it on purpose. Do we even hear the Christmas story anymore? This has become such a common story. Most of us who've been in the, 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 the life of Christianity for a long time can recite most of this from memory without even having tried to memorize it. 
many of us can do the impersonation of uh, the, the, the Charlie Brown special version, which, by the way, is the best public reading of this that's probably ever been recorded. I know what the meaning of Christmas is, Charlie Brown. And then he cites this from the old King James style and they put the spotlight on him, you know. Fantastic. It's great. But do we hear it anymore? You know, our, our, our close association with things, our comfort with things, our familiarity with things, sometimes breeds a kind of quiet uh, discontent. Not that we're discontented with the incarnation, not that we're discontented with Christmas, not that we're discontented with Jesus. It just be, kind of comes old hat. And we don't really hear it anymore, as is evidenced this morning from so many of you saying that you've not heard anybody read this story to you when it happened like literally nine minutes ago. We just don't hear it anymore. And so this morning, let's kind of tackle the deafness of our ears as Christians to the marvel and wonder that is the Christmas story. Let's do that this morning. So the main story is 2, 1 through 17. It's what we're very familiar with. It's what we are used to, particularly verses 1 through 14, this section about the announcement of Christ's birth and the angel's announcement and the shepherd's response. And so the main story, I just want to pause and I want to say, what an incredible story. This is wild. Those of you who know me well enough and, 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 and I've been able to share some things about my own struggles in the past. I was able to share some of these this past Wednesday night with, with a, a couple that was asking me about it. The, the, the great struggle that I've always had, and it's such a weird confession to make as a preacher, but confession is good for the soul, is doubt. I've always struggled with doubt. The, the Christian story, it says of itself in the New Testament, is a foolish story to those who are perishing. It's like the nuttiest thing you've ever heard. Some dude was born on the backside of nowhere to some podunk, unmarried family. And he was God in the flesh. And he lived a perfect and flawless life. And then he died and in his death as God and as man made a sacrifice infinite enough to cover the sins of the people that he's going to save. And all that is necessary for you to be a participant in the salvation that he brings is to believe that that story is true and to turn away from your sins. Wow, that is that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And the scripture says that for those who are perishing, it's total foolishness like this. Just that's nuts. But to those who are being saved, it's got this sweet fragrance of life on it. It's crazy as it sounds, you know. And friends, I just want to tell you, the incarnation story of Jesus is an incredible, wild story. Even after all these years and even having repented of my sins and even having believed and even having wrestled through by the work of the spirit of my life with all manner of doubt. When I read this story, I still occasionally throw eyebrow up like, man, this is crazy. This is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. It is an incredible story. Now, usually when we use the word incredible, we use it in a positive sense, like a remarkable thing that we've heard. But the root of that word is in meaning not credible, meaning credible, not credible. Like it's so far fetched, it just doesn't sound real. And that's how the story is. It is incredible. It almost sounds like a fairy tale. And many of those who object to Christianity call it just that. 
It's a fairy tale of this God-man being born on the backside of nowhere. So what was the immediate impact of this? The immediate impact, well, I'm sure Bethlehem was a buzz. Here come these shepherds talking about seeing these angels. And there's this kid who ends up, you know, being born in this manger because there's not any space for them to stay at the at the inn. And, you know, and people start, you know, marveling about it. But what about the long reaching effects of the story? Christianity in all of its various forms, whether you consider those forms orthodox or not, is inconsequential. Those that would mark a box of some association with the story of Jesus covers more than a billion people on the planet. Some stats say closer to two. One to two billion people mark their religious life around this story. And the stories that flow out of this first story. That's a long reaching impact. That 2,000 years later. People essentially from every nation, tribe, and tongue, depending on how you define those things, find comfort and hope and joy and peace in the birth of this man named Jesus and the work that he did later in his life on the cross. Friends, that's crazy. That's insane. That's even more incredible than the story. Because I guarantee you, if someone had come to the people in this crowd at this time who heard the very first version of the story and said, yeah, hey, 2,000 years from now, a couple of billion people's lives are going to be changed by this. What? No, that, madness. So I want us to see at the end of the text, there are three unique responses to the story, and they are responses that we probably should have and we should cultivate in our lives. Because if we're not careful, our response to this story is to hear it and go, hmm, it's nice. Because we've gotten so used to hearing the story. We need to hear it fresh. Like these people heard it fresh for the first time. So let's take a look at the three unique responses that we see. First, Unique response that we see. The shepherds came and they told about what happened. And what we have is the crowd that heard the testimony of the shepherds. Shepherds came and said, hey, we saw these angels and there was all the singing and there was this light. And they were talking about how great this kid's going to be. And there's all this stuff going on. And so the crowd's response. Notice what it says here. In verse 18, it says, and all who heard it wondered at the thing that had been told to them. When's the last time you heard the Christmas story and it sparked wonder in your life? Let's let's break that down. The word wonder here in the text means to be astonished, to be amazed, to marvel. 
to, to be overwhelmed by the greatness and the weight of a story. When's the last time you heard the Christmas story and it caused you to be astonished and amazed and to marvel? In truth, we could ask the question even more deeply beyond just the Christmas story. When do we ever feel that way? When's the last time you were amazed and astonished and marveled at much of anything? A lot of wonder in our lives has disappeared. We just don't marvel at things much anymore. But think back when you were a child. When everything was new and everything was fresh, every new great experience was something to marvel at. Do you remember what that's like? That's how we should respond to the Christmas story. The God of the universe wrapped himself in human flesh. The almighty, all-powerful sustainer and creator of heaven and earth was born into our existence in a helpless form needing to be cared for by the humans that he was keeping alive at that same moment. That's astonishing. That's a thing to marvel at. When was the last time that the declaration of the first advent gripped your heart in this way? During this Christmas season, that's a great question to ask. It's not a question of guilt. It's a question of transformation. Because we are called upon as Christians to contemplate the greatness and the beauty and the glory and the sufficiency of the majesty of Jesus Christ himself. And this time of year, what better way to do that than marveling at this unique and marvelous gift that is the incarnation. King of heaven. As a baby in a feeding trough. Born to a teenage girl in an insignificant town. To an insignificant family. To bring true significance to all who would repent and believe. That's that's amazing. It's incredible. So we have the crowd's response. It was a response of wonder, of astonishment, of amazement. But then we also have Mary's response. Notice Mary's response when you get to verse 19. It says here, but Mary treasured all these things. Pondering them in her heart. Mary's response was a treasured pondering. Of course, that's a mother's response. But she had gotten some insight that everybody else didn't have yet. The answer to the question to the song, Mary, did you know? She knew most of it. She didn't know all of it, but she didn't know some of it. And she definitely knew more than everybody else did. Having a conversation with an angel will do that for you. Joseph also knew some stuff. 
had a conversation with another angel. Kind of helps. And so she hears what these shepherds are saying. And it sounds a lot like what she was already told. And she treasured it in a pondering way. What does that mean? To treasure something means to preserve it or to keep it safe or to store it deeply in the mind as not to forget it. I don't know about you, but this is one of those you don't need the baby book for. You'll remember this one. Yeah, shepherds showed up and said angels appeared to them and were singing praises to my son. You don't even have to write that one down. You got it. It's there. And the idea of pondering is to think deeply about something and to give careful attention to the implications of the thing that you're thinking about. In other words, Mary's treasured pondering is a deep, deep contemplation of the significance and importance of the event that has occurred. Does the first advent drive us to deep contemplation about Jesus? Or better, the question to ask might be, when's the last time that it did? At some point, all true Christians have given deep contemplation to the incarnation. That's what it means to come into Christ. You begin to understand who he is as the God man. You begin to understand his coming into the world. You begin to understand your sinful estate. You begin to understand his perfect, flawless life. You begin to understand your need of transformation that can only be found in him. On some level, all true Christians have given some measure of contemplation to the incarnation. But when is the last time you gave deep, dwelling, pondering contemplation? To the greatness that is the story of Jesus coming into the world. Might I say and recommend that it would not be a waste of any of our time. That it would be a very fruitful endeavor and exercise for all Christians. Particularly this time of year when all other Christians are also doing the same thing. To pause and to contemplate the deep treasure that is the birth of Jesus Christ. Third unique response was that of the shepherds themselves. Notice after they came and they told the story and the crowd wondered at it and Mary uh, treasured in a pondering way this thing that had been told. Notice in verse 20 what it says. It says the shepherds went back to where they were supposed to be glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. Now, before I get into their their very specific response and how we should connect ourselves to that, I want to paint a picture for you of how. Way out of place, verse 20 is, to the ears of first century Jewish people. Because we read this and we're just kind of like, okay, whatever. This verse would have been appalling to first century Jewish people. And here's why. What is the job of the night crew for shepherds? What are they supposed to do? Watch the sheep. 
during the most dangerous time of watching the sheep when predator animals are out on the prowl trying to eat sheep nighttime. You occasionally will see wild predator animals during the day, but it's rare. They like to hunt at night. And so the nighttime shepherd crew has the really hard job of making sure the sheep don't die. Because they have to stay awake all night long and make sure that the wild animals don't come and eat them. And these angels showed up, told them this remarkable story. They had a group meeting and said, let's go into the city and find out about all this stuff that we were just told. And they left their sheep in the dark on the mountainside, unprotected and alone. That's appalling to a first century crowd that understands the importance of shepherding. Because most of the time, the nighttime shepherd crew were not the people who owned the sheep. They were leaving someone else's sheep unprotected in the wild hillside to be picked off by wild animals and to possibly get scattered and die so they could go find out about this thing that they had just heard. That's how moving this story was for the shepherds. It was going to cost them potentially a great deal. Because guess who has to pony up the money to cover any dead sheep? The shepherd who was supposed to be watching them. That's why they took their job very seriously. And they left all of them. To go find out about this. So I want to give you that background before we read their particular response. That's how overwhelmed they were by the story. They were willing to abandon their, their, their work, their livelihood, their well-being. They could have gotten into a great deal of trouble for doing this. They didn't care. This Introduction to them of Jesus Christ moved them in such a way that nothing else was more important. And so they went and they told, they met and they saw and they announced and people were overwhelmed. And it says they went back to where their sheep were like just this kind of very passive, just laissez faire. You know, of course, it's Luke, the Gentile, the doctor who's writing this. He was never a shepherd. And so he can write it like that. But every every Jewish person that heard this is they went back. Finally going back to their sheep. And what was their particular response? Glorifying and praising God. Glorifying and praising means to worship, to speak highly of, to magnify someone through exalted speech. Friends, does the first advent drive us to worship? And we'll say, yeah, sure, we're here today. We've been doing Advent. Yeah. Okay, and even if we weren't doing Advent, you'd have been here anyway. I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. Just because you decided to show up here on Sunday morning didn't mean you decided to come and worship. Can't say amen, say ouch. Worship's a choice that we make. Not a place that we show up to. I've sat in many a rooms like this one and not worshipped at all. I've preached many a sermons in rooms just like this one and not worshipped at all. Does the first advent drive us to worship? Does it cause us 
to magnify the name of Jesus. When we hear this story, does it move us to want to exalt the name of God? Also, and this is subtle, but it's in the text. Does the first advent alter our speech? These shepherds didn't care anything about telling theological stories to anyone. That wasn't their deal. That was for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and religious leaders. We're just shepherds. Yeah, we love God. Yeah, we go to synagogue. And yeah, we go to temple feasts. But we're shepherds. It's what we do. We know all about sheep. Keeping them alive. But instead, their mouths were filled with praise. They came and gave the first gospel presentation of the incarnation. We have been told a story about the child that's been born to you. And they declared it to an entire village of people. In a matter of moments, this radical encounter that these men had with Jesus Christ at the first advent, this incarnation of the Lord, created in them a longing to change the way that they talk and to include in their regular speech an exaltation of the glory of God because of what he had done. And friends, that applies to us across the board even 2,000 years later. It doesn't really matter what you do for a living. Oh, I'm not a preacher guy like you. Doesn't matter. Oh, I'm just the this or I'm just the that. Yeah, and your mouth and my mouth should be filled with exalting statements about the glory of Jesus. Does the Christmas story do that? Does it drive us to that? So as we close, more reflective sermon today. How should we respond to this? In our lives, in real time, in real space, right now, how should we respond to this? Let's ask the questions in the order of the, of the responses that we saw. Do we wonder at the testimony of the incarnation? If the answer is no, why not? If the answer is sometimes, then why not more often? We should wonder and marvel at the birth of Jesus. It shouldn't be something that we ever kind of get over. That we just sort of get used to. It should overwhelm us every time we hear it. Because friends, this is how God introduces the world. God introduces us as his people to our salvation. This is what he's done. The king and glory of heaven veiled in frail human flesh with the purpose of that flesh being torn for the sins of his people. Second, do we treasure the incarnation in our hearts like Mary did? Do we find deep contemplative value 
to the birth of Jesus? Is it something that we turn our attention to with great frequency? If not, why not? Friend, let me encourage you, as I said earlier, but I'll I'll reiterate more deeply here. There are few other things that a Christian can attend to with their mind than the greatness of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It would be a rich exercise to put our minds through, to think and ponder deeply about the mystery of God in the flesh. And finally, do we give glory to God and praise his name for the incarnation? Do we just kind of go through the motions? Oh, hey, it's Christmas time. We show up, we sing some Christmas songs. I really like those. That's great. Let's go home. We're busy. We got a lot of other stuff that we need to do. Or do we truly allow the reintroduction seasonally of the story into our lives to drive us toward authentic worship? Where we're thanking God for this great gift that he has given us in Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, and I say again as we close, worship is a choice that we make. We can sing familiar songs and hear familiar scriptures and hear familiar sounding sermons and walk away not really having experienced the exaltation of God's name. We must, and I think the reason why in the text it's the last one, we must wonder at the incarnation. Give deep, thoughtful attention to it so that it drives us to the choice of exalting the name of God. Because friends, when we as believers who have been saved and redeemed by the work of Christ wonder at his birth and give true contemplation to the meaning of his incarnation, we will have no other choice but to worship him. So do we even hear the Christmas story anymore. I hope for you and for me that we'll hear it afresh and anew this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the advent, the first advent, the first coming. The introduction of the light into the world. The demonstration of the culmination of God's promises and God's covenant and everything being yes in Christ Jesus. The introduction of our hope and our deliverance and our salvation. The coming of Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we do not wonder. Forgive us when we do not ponder Forgive us when we do not glorify and praise because of the great work that you have done in sending Jesus Christ into the world. Father, I pray that for the rest of this Advent season, our hearts and our minds will be moved to making much of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to sing a song of response together.